turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 18 through 22 this morning. Uh, but before I do, I'm going to ask a question. You don't need to answer it out loud. Just answer it in your mind. Do you have something that, or maybe it's someone, that, that when you listen to them or when this happens, it like motivates you to do something that you normally wouldn't do? Uh, I have some of those things. I was just thinking about some things for myself. Um, my favorite all-time movies, I've seen them more times than you can count. I have most of the dialogue in the movies memorized, but at the same time, if you ever said you wanted to watch this, I would watch it in a heartbeat. Right now, I'm actually thinking, why have I not put it on this screen um, to watch just on a you know, after all, there are perks of being the senior pastor. You get out keys to the building. Like, I could just put it on the big screen and have a little, I'm actually thinking that's a good idea as I'm saying that out loud. <laughs> like, I love Rocky movies. Love them. Amazing. Oh, thank you, the one person who agrees with me in the house today. Uh, and I just love them. They're just those good, feel-good, like, motivational uh, stories, movies. Um, remember the Titans? Another awesome movie. I love that movie. It's like one of my all-time favorite football movies. I, I just love it. I love the storyline. I love what it talks about and unity and all those different types of things. And I pretty much like any movie Denzel Washington's in. And so I just, I, I love Remember the Titans. Uh, when I think about Rocky, like I remember when I was, um, that came out when I was in elementary school. But even in junior high and high school, I bought the cassette tape. Like for those of you, knowing some of you in this room, that's a plastic thing that had literal tape in it, and used to, that on that tape, however it worked, I've always been wondered how that works. There's music on that thing, and you like stick it in this little contraption, and you close the door. Uh, it was before CDs. Some of you don't know what CDs, but I'm not gonna take time to describe that. But anyway, I had a, the Rocky Four soundtrack. There might, there might not be a better soundtrack than the Rocky Four soundtrack. Um, I get no royalties if you want to go uh, download that. But I remember I would listen to that. I'd put it on my headphones and I would go out and, and you know, whether that was, you know, lifting weights or play, practicing basketball or whatever it was. I don't know what it was. It just motivated me. Like, like you, some of you are already like thinking of the song, Eye of the Tiger, are you not? Like in your head. Like I thought about playing that this morning, but I thought not to. Um, what about, what about, um, you know, you're on the treadmill, for those of you who run, like I remember for a while, like, like I run on the treadmill and I was watching like Netflix and trying to, you know, I'd take, the, take my iPad and put it over the time on the treadmill so that it wasn't like, oh my goodness, it's only been three minutes. And so um, I put it over the treadmill, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't motivating me, you know, just watching a movie. So actually, you know what I do? I have a playlist of songs that I listen to and then I put closed captions on Netflix. So I'm watching Netflix as I'm listening to a bunch of songs and I'm not gonna tell you what songs they are, lest you judge me. But, but, the, but all of a sudden now, it's like five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by, like, like time goes by a whole lot. And, I, and those songs motivate me. I may not have said what motivates you yet. Maybe it's like, I'm running so I can have that donut in the morning to work, and that's what motivates you. I don't know what it is, 
But there are things in our life that we look to or people to motivate us. And the reason why I'm describing that is because the passage of Scripture that we are going to look at today is meant by the Holy Spirit through Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the apostle who wrote this letter to Jewish Christians who were going through difficult circumstances and persecutions, remember, scattered across the five provinces of Asia at the time under Roman rule rule, enduring difficult things, feeling like they were in a fog, wondering what's going on, and Peter writes these words to do one thing, and that is to remind them of the reality and to motivate them to keep persevering in the life that they are in. And that's what God wants to do with us today. Because the reality is, is some of you may be living in a fog today. Some of you may be discouraged today. Some of you may be struggling today. Some of you may have just gotten the worst news of your life this week. And you need to be encouraged. And you need to be motivated. And some of you feel like quitting. Like this Christian life, like is this, is this all there is? And, and, and we can get sidetracked and we can get confused and we can um, start believing lies I mean, Lori and I were just talking this week on, the, on our back porch, and I mean, we're both, if you know us, we're like both positive people. Like, we're glass half full. We're not glass half empty people. And just talking about, man, like, as we were reflecting and being like, man, we have to battle a lot more right now for whatever reason not to be glass half empty pessimistic people. And just talking about how we don't like that. And maybe that's true of you that over this last year, because it's just been unprecedented in 2020, and even as we're in 2021, and you've just become more negative. Because you're like, well, now I'm just waiting for that not to happen. I'm waiting for that decision not to be made. I'm waiting for this. Like, why plan anything? Because it's just going to be canceled. I mean, whatever it is. And if that's you, because that was me, even as, we were, as my wife and I were talking this week, and then I came to this passage of scripture, and what I want to share with you is just what the Lord encouraged and motivated my heart with, that never changes, that can be so much greater than whatever you look to to motivate you. What we're going to look at today is meant to motivate you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, what God wants you to hear today is what can change your life, both now and for all of eternity. So as we come to this passage of Scripture And you may feel like you're in a fog, much like probably what the readers of this letter were feeling like. Let's allow what the Peter shares to breathe life into whatever you're struggling with today. So would you pray with me as I pray out loud? God, we're here today to hear from you, to be encouraged by you. Lord, especially today, we come to a passage of scripture that's meant to motivate us, to remind us that we are different. We can be different because of who you are and what you have done for us. So allow this to be a time, God, that we take whatever we're struggling with, whatever uh, has us down, whatever has us discouraged, whatever news we have, and Lord, may we allow your word to bring perspective into what we are experiencing. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the title of the message this morning. Jesus is my victory. And I'm going to give you really the main idea of this uh, of this passage of scripture, of this message, of, of what we're going to talk about this morning, and then we're going to read these verses, all right? Here's the, here's the idea that I want you to get today. If you're going to get one thing, here it is, that you, that I, that we are different. Like if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we've been looking at every week how we are different, and we're called to live differently and faithfully in a world that's not our final home, that we are different and can live differently, that that statement is true. Why? Because our Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King is victorious. And some of us need to be reminded of that today. Some of us need to allow that to resonate with us. Some of us need to to dust that off, so to speak, in our hearts, in our lives, and remind ourselves that Jesus is our victory. And that is the only reason why you and I today can be different. Not different in a pretentious way, not different in a weird way. No, no, no. Different in the sense that I have a life that's been changed by God through Jesus. I approach life differently. I see hope where there may not be hope, seen by others. Why? Because Jesus is victorious. So let's read this passage of scripture. Look at verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now verse 18, it's like, Awesome. Now we come to verses 19 and 20, and now it gets a little hairy and confusing. If you're in a reading plan, you're like, I have no idea what verses 19 and 20 is saying. Um, I got that a lot from from people this week, and I'll have to be honest, when I read verses 19 and 20, I'm like, what am I going to do with this? But it's awesome, I promise you. I've mined it. Verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So you're like, what does Noah have to do with Peter? What was found in 1 Peter? Well, we'll get to that. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. Now listen, we're dealing with a passage of scripture just to make you feel a little bit better. If you read this and you were like, I, I have no idea. Like I've gone through the Bible reading tool and I'm like, I don't know what stands out to me other than I have no idea what this says. Well, can I encourage you that throughout the centuries, like people have debated what this passage of scripture means. So you're not alone. You're not alone. But I'm gonna give you some things that I believe is gonna answer Two questions. Here are the two questions. Why is Jesus victorious? And what difference does that make in my life? Remember what we said. We can be different and live differently because Jesus is victorious. But here's what I know is true of you and and can be true of me. That I can hear those words, I can believe those words, I can affirm those words, but I struggle in really saying, how is that going to help me today? 
Like, I get that. Like, I didn't need to come to church to be reminded that Jesus is victorious. Maybe you're saying that. Because what you're wanting to ask is, how does that make a difference in my life? And can I tell you, it's okay to ask that. God's not offended by you asking that. In fact, he, Peter is writing these words to a group of people that I am sure are asking that. Man, I don't know if I'm going to live or die today. I've been separated from my mother or my father or my grandmother or my grandfather. They're in another part of the world because we're being persecuted. How does Jesus being victorious make a difference in my life today? So the question is not a unique question. It's a common question. And what I'm so thankful for is God's going to answer that for us today. The Holy Spirit is going to answer that for us today. The Holy Spirit answered that to the people that were asking that as Peter, through the inspiration of the Spirit, writes this. So let me give you four answers to those two questions today. That's what I want to do. Why is Jesus victorious? And what difference does that make in my life today? Let's answer that this way, and it's from verse 18, the first answer to those two questions. Here's the, here's the reason why Jesus is victorious, and it comes from verse 18. We already read it, that Jesus suffered and died for you. That is why Jesus is victorious today, because that is what Jesus did. How does that make a difference in your life today? So that you can experience an eternal relationship with God. That's the difference that it makes in your life today. We're one of two people in this room today. We have a relationship with God or we don't. There's only two groups of people in here. I don't care what money you have or you don't have. I don't care about your background. I don't care about the color of your skin. Like, I don't care about um, what preferences you have. Like, none of that. There are two types of people in this room today, and there's two types of people watching this or listening to this. Those that have a relationship with God and those that don't. Those that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and those who haven't. And the reason why Jesus is victorious is look at verse 18 again. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that being Jesus, for the unrighteous, that being you and me. And what did Jesus do? That he might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, written by Paul, not Peter, says this. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So that we, you and me, might become the righteousness of God. So it's understanding that if God's over here, I'm way over here, and there is this chasm between me and God that I cannot bridge on my own. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. So before Jesus Christ, you and I are sinners having no way to have a relationship with a holy God. Why? Because I am a sinner, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and God is perfect, God is holy. 
So what Jesus did is God sent Jesus with human flesh into this earth to do what? To suffer, according to this passage, and die for you. The wages of my sin is death, Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Jesus did, according to this verse in verse 18 of chapter three, is Jesus came He gave his life, the righteous, in my place, the unrighteous. Why? So that I could be brought to God. That word bring literally means to introduce you to someone that you don't know. So what Jesus literally did is, myself, when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, figuratively, according to this verse, what Jesus did is he he said, Johnny, I'm going to bridge this gap for you. And I'm gonna introduce you because you've placed your trust in what I've done through you, my perfect life, my death, my resurrection, is because you have put your trust in that and not in the good that you think you can do, I wanna introduce you now to your new spiritual daddy and your new spiritual family. I love the imagery here because in this, in this verse, this one little verse, it shows us completely that nothing about our relationship with God was something that you and I could do. Nothing. And also what I think is interesting is you need to underline in your Bible that those two words, suffered once. Because there is theology out there that says every time I sin, I'm putting Jesus on the cross again. That is completely false. Why? You want a chapter and verse? Here it is. Chapter three of 1 Peter, verse 18. Jesus only needed to suffer once. He only needed to die once. Now remember, Peter is writing to Jewish Christians. What would they have been familiar with? They would have been familiar with the sacrificial system that we find in the Old Testament, where every year, every Passover year, they would all go to Jerusalem. They would go to the temple. They would buy a lamb. That lamb had to be sacrificed for their sins. Most historians say during Passover week, over a quarter of a million sheep were slaughtered. So think about it. Every year we gotta go to Jerusalem again. Every year we gotta be reminded that someone else has to die in our place. So when when Peter reminds them, okay, Jesus suffered once, he died for you, it was sufficient, it doesn't need to be done again, you don't need to pay penance again for your sin, you don't need to live in guilt because of your sin, Jesus paid it all. What is Peter doing here? He is speaking life and motivation into a group of people that are struggling. And how is he doing it? He's reminding them that Jesus is victorious. Why is Jesus victorious? Because he suffered and he died for you. Listen to me, when you read these verses, if you're following along this reading plan, let me ask you this. Are you making these verses personal? Are you making it personal? Because that's what you need to do. So when I look at this, it says, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. I would write my name right above that word unrighteous that he might bring us. I'm not gonna settle for us. I'm gonna put my name there. That he might bring Johnny to God. You wanna know the gospel in four words? Jesus in my place. I've said that before here. You wanna know the theological term so that you can Be good at trivia someday if it comes up, Bible trivia. It's called substitutionary atonement. 
First John 4.10 says this, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, that being Jesus, to be the propitiation, the payment for my sin. Just like for those Jews, that lamb was a payment for their sins. Jesus, the lamb of God, suffered once. The righteous for the unrighteous, so that you and I can be brought to God. Man, why does that make a difference in your life? Because you have a relationship with God if you place your trust in that today. You can have a relationship with Christ if you place your trust in that and not in the good that you can do. That's significant. I don't know where I'd be in my life if I didn't have a relationship with God. Think about it. Where would you be in your life right now if you didn't have a relationship with God? And bring yourself back to that reality as you're struggling, as you may be discouraged today, because what the Lord wants to remind you of today is that you are victorious because Jesus is victorious. Why? Because he died for you and you have a relationship with him. What's the second answer to this question of why is Jesus victorious? Why does that make a difference in my life? Here's the second answer to those two questions. Because Jesus proclaimed what? Proclaimed defeat over demonic forces for you so that you can overcome their plans for your life. Now here we come to the two squirrely verses that aren't squirrely but may appear that to us. But I think we don't talk about this enough because it's somewhat nebulous on what actually took place from the time that Jesus died to the time that he rose again. Because we don't know really a lot, but these verses shed a little bit light on what took place from the time that Jesus died to the time that he rose again. Look at verse 18, this last part of verse 18. It says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What that is speaking about is when Jesus died on the cross, his physical body was dead. But his spirit or his soul was alive. When you and I die, our body is in the ground or whatever you choose to do with it, cremated, whatever it is. Our body is dead, but our soul is alive. So to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. So if I died today or this week or before Jesus comes back one day, my body will be separated from my soul, but my soul will be with the Lord in heaven. But there will come a day where that body will be reunited with that soul and it'll be made new. So Jesus here, when it says, being dead in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, is speaking to that time where Jesus was still dead, but yet his soul or his spirit is alive. So what actually happened? I'm just gonna let you know that there's not absolute certainty on this, so there are people that disagree, but as I was studying, for those who saw it this way, it made sense to me when it says, well, what did he do? Well, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. In other words, it gives this idea that he purposely went into prison. What is prison? Well, it's possibly hell, somewhere where demons were, and he went and he proclaimed Proclaimed what? The idea of the word proclaimed is literally victory. It's the word that we get that in, in uh, Roman times or, or in 
you know, during that time when someone would win a battle, they would have a big parade in the streets, and that parade was designed to let everybody know that they were victorious in battle. That's the word proclaim. So Jesus evidently goes into possibly hell to make a triumphant announcement to these, it says there, spirits. Here's why we know they're not human, is because nowhere is the Greek word used for spirits in this passage used anywhere else in the New Testament to speak to human individuals. So he goes into what is possibly hell to proclaim to these demonic spirits that what? That victory's been won. Here's what you need to understand. So ever since the fall of Satan, Like, Satan was a created being. He was a created, an angel. He fell. He chose to rebel. And his demons, there's been this ongoing cosmic battle between the forces of evil and the forces of the Lord. We don't have time to turn there, but you see that in Job 1 and 2, Isaiah 14, Daniel 10, Zechariah 3, Ephesians 6, Revelation 12, Revelation 16, In fact, when you go to the book of Genesis, if you remind yourself, you're familiar with with God's word, in Genesis 3, we have Adam and Eve, and we have Satan on the scene. And what does Satan do? He tempts Adam and Eve to sin, to eat of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. Adam and Eve choose to sin, and it seems as though the devil has won and wrecked God's plan. Sin has entered the world, this perfect world that God created to where he said everything is good. So it would seem as though Satan won. But in Genesis 3.15, God gives a promise in the midst of what seems as all hope is lost. In Genesis 3.15, God says that there will come someone who will crush the serpent's head. In other words, there will come someone who will crush Satan's plans. Now, as we continue to go through the Old Testament, we see this battle continuing to happen. So Satan obviously hears this, that this is God's plan. By the way, Satan's not omniscient. We need to remind ourselves of that. Sometimes we forget that. Like he doesn't know everything. But Satan was told this promise. So ever since that point in Genesis chapter three, you know what the devil's plan was throughout the Bible? To make sure that this one who is coming doesn't come. So we see in 2 Chronicles 22 that Satan tries to destroy the messianic line during the time of Joash. Then when that fails, he attempts to kill the infant Messiah. Remember in Matthew chapter two, when the wise men tell Herod that there is this Messiah and he's been born. So what does Herod do? He goes out and he kills every boy under two years of age. Do you think that that was Herod's idea? No, that was Satan's idea. Why? Because he wanted to destroy the one that was coming to fulfill the plan that was mentioned in Genesis 3.15. And when that failed, then what did Satan do? Well, Satan obviously got behind the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, 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 that, and created this mob to what? To say that they wanted to crucify who? Jesus. And then when Jesus is dead, all of a sudden there becomes a plan that, hey, let's make sure, we heard that Jesus said he was gonna rise from the dead, so let's make sure we stack the deck with a bunch of Roman soldiers at the tomb so that that can't happen either. See, Satan, up to the time that Jesus died on the cross, did everything in his power to make sure that that plan did not 
happen. But when Jesus died and he said it is finished and he went into wherever this was and he proclaimed, let me tell you something, Jesus became the greatest trash talker in all of history. Now, I got a question for the Lord when I go up there. What did you actually say? We have no idea what he said. But if he said it is finished on the cross, he probably said something similar to that to all of those demons wherever they were, if it was hell or someplace else. And that would be significant for us because what Peter is doing is he is reminding a group of Jewish Christians who they didn't look at this passage of scripture and scratch their head and say, what in the world is Peter talking about? Evidently, they knew it exactly because he doesn't elaborate. But Peter mentions this to a group of people that are suffering and in a fog and wondering what's going on. He says, wait a minute, Jesus is victorious. He has won. Why is he victorious? Because let me remind you what he did between the time that he died and he rose again. He went down into hell and he reminded all of those demons that your plan didn't happen. I crushed your head. And because of that reality, today, no matter what I face, I can say, you know what? Jesus Christ is victorious. Therefore, I can overcome any plan that the enemy has against my life. You want to know what that plan is? John 10.10 says it simply. To steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Some of you need to be reminded of that. But if you're married this morning, the devil wants to steal and to kill and destroy your marriage. If you're single this morning, let me just say there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's an amazing thing. But the devil wants to steal and to kill and destroy your life. If you're going into college, you're a senior in high school, you got all amazing things planned, man. You want to do this, you want to do that, you want to major in this, you want to go after these things. Understand, the devil wants to steal and to kill and destroy those plans for you. That's his plan. Listen to me, the devil knows what's at the end of Revelation. And he's gonna do everything in his power to take down as many people with him. That's the devil's plan. But aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't end and put a period in that statement in John 10, 10? Because Jesus says, this is before he dies on the cross and rises, rises again. Even though he knows he's gonna do that, he says, I have come. The reason why I've come is to give you life and to give it abundantly. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I'm gonna read this. Such a great passage to remind ourselves of who we were and who we are now if you place your trust in Christ. It says, and you, you is you, me, were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at the in the sons of disobedience. So these demonic forces, like before I came to Christ, I didn't know it. But I was doing whatever I wanted. I was doing it because it felt good, all of that. I mean, in the end of the day, I was doing whatever the devil wanted. He wasn't much concerned with me because I was doing a good job on my own wrecking my life. Among whom we all once lived. Like, in case you're trying to be self-righteous this morning, we all were that way. Lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, 
And we were by nature children of wrath. What I deserved because of my sin was God's judgment. Like the rest of mankind. Now, I want us to read verses four through six together. You ready? Can we just read those first two words and stop? Ready? You guys ready? Say it with one, two, three. But God. Can we just say that again? But God. In fact, let's just, let's just make that even more important. So I'm gonna read verse three, and then you guys jump on in verse four with those first two words. Can we do that? All right. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Get ready online. You're gonna say this out loud too. And we were by nature children of rest like the rest of mankind, but God. There are no, for me, two greater words in all the New Testament than that. But God, what type of God? One who is rich in mercy. Can you read verse four through six with me? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'll give you guys a break. I'll read the rest. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know the amazing part of verse seven, and I'm not teaching this passage of scripture, But it tells us that for all of eternity, you ever ask yourself, what are we gonna do in heaven? Am I gonna sit on some cloud and play some harp? That sounds like hell to me, not heaven. (laughs) Like you ever think it short circuits your brain like, and another day, and another day, and another day. If there's even, there's not gonna be even day or night. And you're like, I don't know, man, that doesn't jive with me. But what this verse says is every day is gonna be a new day. And it's going to be better than the day before. Not that the day before wasn't bad. It would have been amazing until you compare it to the next day. To where throughout all of eternity, I'm going to be amazed in a greater way of the richness and the awesomeness of who God is and Jesus Christ is and the Holy Spirit. Like every day is going to be a refreshing new experience that shows me the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards me in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. The reason why Jesus went to hell and spoke victory over you and over me is to show they are no longer yours. They are mine. And I have created them to be something special. I've created them in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know, you may be addicted to something today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and what you need to be reminded of first, not that you don't need to work on that and and have accountability and and do the necessary steps to be responsible on that. But where you start is you remind yourself, wait a minute, I am not a victim. My identity is not whatever I'm struggling with. Why? Because 1 John 4, 4 says, you are from God and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And some of us this morning need to allow that to breathe life into what we're struggling with. 
man, why is Jesus victorious and what difference does that make in my life? Well, we could stop there, but Peter doesn't. He also says this. The reason why Jesus is victorious is because Jesus rose in the dead for you. Why is that significant? Because you have a living hope that's for your present and your future. Now, we're only a few weeks away from Easter, so I'm not gonna steal all my thunder. But verse 21 says this, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Now, if you read that, you're like, wait a minute, like we baptize people and say this is not for their salvation. So how do you explain that? Well, you need to understand that the word baptism literally means to immerse. That's why we put someone underwater when we baptize them. But the word can also refer to other things, to where it doesn't necessarily mean being baptized in water, but it means being baptized or immersed into something or someone. Here it's referring to someone. The reason why I say that is because he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. So he's telling us he's not talking about water. He's talking about us being immersed into Jesus Christ. So remember he talked about Noah and the ark in verse 20. We're all like, what in the world is he talking about Noah? Well, think about it. Noah built an ark. His family, all eight of them, got into that ark. The rain came. The rain immersed them. But they were not harmed. Why? Because they were immersed in an ark. They had brought themselves into that ark. And that ark provided deliverance and safety. And so when he continues that thought in verse 21 and says, baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of bo- from the body, dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, is when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you now identify yourself with what Jesus has accomplished for you. So his life, death, and resurrection is what I identify as being the thing that allows me to be saved by him and to have a relationship with God. I am part of the family of God. I am immersed into the family of God. Why? Because I have put my trust in Jesus Christ just like Noah and his family were saved from the flood because they immersed themselves, placed their trust in what God provided in the ark. That's what he's saying. And the only reason why We can have confidence of that today. Why we can sing and we can raise our hands and we can rejoice in who Jesus is is because of the resurrection. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Jesus hasn't rise, then our faith is futile. It's useless. Man, let's all go home. Let's get something to eat. I'm hungry, aren't you? I guess just call it a day. I could have slept in this morning. It's time change weekend. That's what he's saying. But we know that's not the case. In fact, he says in verse 19, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead and this is all we have to hope for, we need to be pitied. What that tells me is no matter how difficult life is, and we're gonna talk about this more at Easter, but no matter how difficult life is, no matter how, what chapter I am in the story of life, I can know that my story has a happy ending. Why? Because at the end of my story is an empty grave. That speaks life into my present. It speaks hope into my present. It speaks life and hope into my eternity. And what's the last way that Peter answers these two questions? Man, why is Jesus victorious? Why does that make a difference in my life? Well, he says in verse 22, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Here's the fourth answer. Why is Jesus victorious? Because he ascended and is seated at the right hand of God. 
You want to know where Jesus is today? He's not floating around in some galaxy somewhere in the universe. No, no, no. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. And he's just waiting for the word to come back down and to rid sin from this world. That's where he is. And he wouldn't be there if he wasn't victorious. And what difference does that make in your life? Some of us need to be reminded that because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, I can have the assurance that I am victorious in him. I don't care what the scoreboard says in your life today. What the Lord wants you to be reminded of is no matter how many points you're down, so to speak, victory is coming. And it'll be the greatest comeback story for some of us. The victory is coming because it's been won. Both the Old and New Testament speak of this right hand as a place of prestige and power. So what do you and I do today if we feel like we're losing? Listen, I'm not naive. I've been doing this long enough to know that in a crowd this size and those countless who are watching us online that probably the majority of us may feel like we're losing today. And if you're not, praise God for that. You know what we do? I make a conscious decision to do this. Like you have, some of you haven't taken any notes today, and that's okay, but I want you to write this down. You make a conscious decision to look. Look. L-O-O-K. Look. And if you're asking this next question, well, look at what? Like some of us, we do a lot of looking, right? Like in the morning, what's the first thing we do? We pop open our computer, we, we, we go to uh, our checking account, and we look at what the balance is. And depending on what that is can determine if we have a good day or a bad day. Now look at that. Some of us are constantly looking to our spouse to prop us up. But we don't look at that. Some kids, you're looking to your parents to be the answer. You don't look at that. You don't look to your social media. You don't look to your favorite news feed. You don't look to your boss. You don't thinking, well, maybe he'll solve all my problems if he gives me a raise or gives me a new position. No, you don't look at him. You definitely don't look to yourself. You know who you look to? You look at someone, the only one, who is so much greater than you. Hebrews 12.2 tells us where to look. Hebrews 12.2 says, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen to me. When Jesus sat down, he said everything that was necessary to accomplish, that was necessary to provide and accomplish salvation for you and me has been done. And the next time that Jesus gets up from that throne will be coming to rid sin of this world, to put Satan in chains for all of eternity, and to make a new heaven and a new earth. That will be the next time that Jesus gets up. But because he's seated at the right hand of God, we need to remind ourselves this morning that Jesus isn't on the edge of his seat saying, oh, did I forget something? 
Oh, I didn't, that took me by surprise what Johnny went through. No, no, no. He is seated. He's relaxed. He has authority. Everything is subject unto him, as we see in verse 22, and as Colossians 1 tells us. Why? Because he is fully confident that what he provided was sufficient for you and me today to proclaim and sing and live in victory. So I want you to stand with me this morning. As you stand, I want to read Revelation 5, verses 11 through 13, because I think it's interesting that you find in these passages that you continually find this word, look. Look to Jesus. John is given this vision into heaven, and he says, then I looked. By the way, John writes this on an isle of Patmos, a prison island. He was boiled alive for his faith and lived. And he says, I looked. And what did he see? I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, look at this, and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Listen to me, if I am a follower of Jesus Christ today, I can be confident in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my disappointment, that that does not define me. That is not the end of my story. Jesus is my victory. So you find stories throughout the Bible, right? Sunday school stories. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow to me, but they didn't bow, why? Because they knew there was one on the throne. And so they got cost in that fire, and what does it say? In that fire, Nebuchadnezzar sees someone else with them. Who is it? It's the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. He's with them in that fire. You see, Jesus on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and the storm picks up, and it scares them to death, but Jesus is in that boat with them. And what does he say? He says, peace be still. You got Paul and Silas who are proclaiming the gospel in the New Testament in Acts. And they're put in prison and all of a sudden what happens? The doors of that prison shake and they're freed. Why? Because Jesus is victorious and he's with them. But listen to me. The greatest single act that speaks to whatever we are going through is not your boss giving you a raise, is not your bills being paid that you're fretting about, is not you getting into that college that you desire. As awesome as those things may be, the greatest sign that Jesus is victorious is that empty tomb. Let's be reminded of that today. And let's sing about that today. We're gonna sing a song that says another is in the fire. Listen to me, you may feel like you're in the fire today, but Jesus is with you and you have victory because of him. So let's sing. God, we're here today to remind ourselves that there is victory in Jesus Christ, that we are winners, we are not losers. We are not defeated, we are overcomers. 
God, may we allow that to just wash over us today and this week and that every day is a resurrection day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing to him this morning.